0: Welcome back to The Intrepid Hunter. I'm joined by Nathan Little and this evening we're going to find out what he has been up to since we last spoke. Nathan, welcome. Hi
1: Meredith, how are you doing?
0: Really well, thank you. How are you?
1: Not bad, not bad. Just um, dealing with a, a case of, well, this early onset of hay fever, so forgive me if you can hear me sniffling a little bit. I, I I seem to get it every year and at the earliest possible stage it seems to kick in, so it's... Um, if I see, if I sound a little bit groggy, that's what it is.
0: So yeah, yeah, you weren't out last night, then?
1: No. Do you know what? I've been really good. I've, I've, I've I haven't been out for a fair few weeks, and then I was in, um, my, my, Majorca last week. Last week, um, hunting, which we'll talk about in the next, in the next episode, and yeah, well, we're, we're in Romans these days. <laughs> so, but other than that, I've been really well behaved
0: so let's talk about your last trip were you well behaved on that
1: no this was just utter. it was just utter carnage to be perfectly honest in fact yeah both both of the last trips to this same place were absolute carnage so um yeah but the, the ultimate hunting trip let's put it that way
0: so talk me through it where did the carnage begin and how did it come about
1: So this time, this one, it sort of spans two trips, to be honest. So this was in uh, eastern Germany. We were hunting mouflon and Dimitri, who seems to be my hunting brother now, we seem to hunt everywhere together, instigated this trip and arranged it for me to come and hunt mouflon with him, uh, our friend Jan, in the um, eastern part of Germany. And I'd never, never hunted mouflon before. It was the first time for me. I love going to Germany. Because also I'm quarter German, so the, so the German in me was sort of inspired. I couldn't say no. So Dimitri arranged this trip. First of all, we went in 21, which was just fantastic. And it was really quite an interesting trip because it was a sort of will we, won't we kind of last minute hunt. Because of the whole Covid situation with, with, with Germany still being quite strict, even though it loosened off up, up here. The flight situation was I'll book the flight now, and I literally booked the flight two days before. I had all the paperwork and everything like that. So we we'd done all the all the all the you know the gun paperwork and traveling with a gun. But actual, are we going to make it? Was really really last minute, and thankfully it was such a narrow window because I landed in Germany with literally a few hours remaining before new rules kicked in so if i'd have landed a, a few hours later i would have then had to quarantine or isolate for i think it was 12 days or something like that in germany and i actually flew out on 18th of december so i was due and, and due to fly back on the 23rd so it was ju- it was really really touch and go scary but you know makes for a good story
0: yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I guess with all of the concern about flying during COVID, how did you manage the transportation of your your weapons and your equipment during that time as well? Because I guess you've you've got a lot to to manage anyway when you've got that kit to get through security. But on top of COVID, how did you negotiate that?
1: That wasn't too much of a problem. You know, the paperwork and the procedure for that was really really straightforward. It was more the individual the actual people traveling you know which was more concerning you know because of the passes at the time you know we're talking sort of 14, 14 15 months ago now so i'm just trying to remember that part but it was but yeah that that was the that was the trickiest part making sure that you've got all your paperwork because obviously if you've not got that and you your nhs scan thing you know your thing on your app, your app on your phone Um, making sure all that was up to date. And I I actually became really quite meticulous with my paperwork at that point. And and thankfully that's gone on because I used to be really quite chaotic with everything very last minute. Whereas now when I'm traveling abroad, never, never with anything else, but once it's a hunting trip, I've become really, really meticulous, sort of to-do lists, checklists, um, lists of paperwork, traveling with, you know, multiple copies of everything. So There is positives with that, I suppose. So, so actually traveling with guns and kit and all all that lot wasn't too bad, but it was more about the actual you as an individual, as a person crossing border during that time. It was really quite strange. But once I'd got there and Dimitri had picked me up, it was happy days because we were again going to somewhere very, very remote in a, in a, in a, in a a, literally a log cabin in the middle of nowhere, which was, we drove literally through the night I landed at eight o'clock and Dimitri picked me up from the airport hotel at one o'clock in the morning and then we drove from Kulin airport right the way across to to, towards the Czech border and got there I think early hours of the morning ready to go hit literally hit the ground running and go hunting straight away sort of five o'clock in the morning
0: oh my goodness and what were you what was your heart set on on this trip if you'd had to come away with anything what did you want it to be
1: I wanted it to be that sort of proper cold weather hunt, see a few animals, not necessarily have to shoot something. You know, you know that was a bonus if we find the right animal. We had a tag. I was very, very fortunate to be able to to get a tag for a gold medal ram, which was fantastic. If we got him, then that was, you know, absolutely fantastic. But it was more a case of, I'd never seen moose on at this point before. And it was more about, Meeting new people, again spending time in um, quite a remote area, enjoying the food, the company, and hunting could gain broad. So it was just more experience, and obviously there was very little, no real expectation, given that the short time frame in which it all happened. Because as I say, we, it was very touch and go whether it was even going to get there at all. Just being there was fantastic.
0: Why do people hunt mouflon in that region?
1: It's a quarry species, as with all. Quarry species you know, there's an excitement level to them. The, you know, they're a fantastic looking animal for people that want a the trophy. They're a fantastic tasting animal. We ate a lot of uh, mouflon and boar and things like that whilst we were there. And obviously there's a management practice with them. And the particular area that we went to wasn't huge, but the quality of the animal there that is directly as a result of the hunting and the, and the fantastic management that the team I can only describe as a syndicate of friends. On the land that they manage, the efforts that they have put in clearly over the years have produced some absolutely incredible animals and and a really healthy herd, you know, herd of muflon
0: When you got there, obviously you've been travelling all night. Did you then go off and check zero straight away? What what happened when you got there?
1: We zeroed before. I zeroed before. And even though it was traveling and whatnot i was pretty confident with everything with with the rifle it, the breakdown it breaks down quite easily sets back back up really quickly so i was more than confident with that but we went out quite quite early on it, we, we just got straight to it It was still pretty much pitch black and it's quite an eerie feeling getting there in the middle of nowhere i met my friend yan who well met the the the, the guide yan who now has become a very very good friend and we, we were communicating, my German is not what it used to be. Uh, and we were communicating very, uh, very primitively with what he wanted me to do. And we, we ended up going in a high seat to start with on an area not far from where the cabin was. Quite a bit of snow on the ground, not huge amounts, but enough. So that helped you sort of navigate where you were going to, to the high seat. We'd sat there and as I say, from about five o'clock in the morning till about nine o'clock in the morning, It was Baltic cold. You're absolutely knackered, but you've gone straight in. You're just waiting there in silence because one, A, you can't talk because you don't want to disturb anything. And B, I can't talk because at the time our language barrier was, you know, and also not knowing one another as well. You know, it wasn't like we were mates beforehand. You know, we only just met 20 minutes before. So it was all quite exciting and also a little bit weird at the same time. And the first morning as i say in the high seat we we saw animals plenty of animals probably around 80 came out just underneath the high seat and started running and i got it all on video and it was just incredible to see see the sheer number of them and, and not only that how easily they were able to to sort of get in undetected from where we were it was pretty awesome
0: what kind of animals were they
1: Um, Oh, sorry, the the Mouflon, my first ever sighting of Mouflon. And as I say, it wasn't just one or two, it was about 80 of them. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they're just like stealth. You know, they came in behind us, actually, and they must have just sort of caught our wind and uh, bolted, and that was the last we saw of them. But it was just nice. It's one of those experiences as... When, you, when you're out hunting and whether you shoot something or not, it's always nice to see animals. You know, it's not totally demoralising when you haven't seen, you, you know, as when you haven't seen anything. And it just shows that they are there.
0: It sounds like an amazing experience because I guess you go from the comfort of home to that region fairly quickly and then you end up in a high seat with someone you've never met before, can't communicate with, <laughs> but you're subject to these phenomenal size
1: yeah no it was very it was it was very very cool literally you know probably about minus five whilst we're there as well but um we were there for about three or four hours because it does become quite awkward when you do a talk don't a talk well no you know i need to probably just shut up and listen and 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 watch (laughs) Even though you want to sort of break that awkward silence, you know, of not knowing this person, but it was, it was, it was really cool. We didn't take anything at that particular moment because, even though Aram presented himself to us further out and still within perfectly acceptable range, he wasn't quite right. I'm kind of glad that I didn't on the first instance you know I'm there for a couple of days you want to make the most of the trip but also you want to understand and appreciate what is the right animal to take and by seeing animals that were too young or not particularly the the standard that we're after it's a learning curve as well and it shows that hunters have restraint in what they're what they're doing they're not just pulling a trigger.
0: And were there any times over the trip when you kind of then looked back to that high seat moment and thought oh, I wish I'd taken that one or where you regretted waiting for what you were looking for
1: no because the perfect moment came and i'm, I'm more of a firm believer now as, as these trips go on whether it's mouflon it's moose it's ibex it's boar, whatever it is i'm a firm believer of the right animal will present itself at some point and whether that's on that particular trip or it's on subsequent trips you know it doesn't really matter and there's a reason that you don't pull a trigger. You know, I think there's a gut instinct with everybody. You, you know, we all regret, oh, I could have done that. But there's a, th- I think there's a sort of a sixth sense for hunters why they didn't take certain shots. And as, as as somebody once said to me, you hear more people regretting certain shots they've taken, not the ones that they didn't take, because it's there for another time. My time came, and it, and that makes for such a better story anyway, which we'll get onto in a second.
0: You've mentioned before that it was it was really cold did you take take the right kit for the climate
1: no abs- absolutely again i've got all my lacks and stuff and my, my the, the the two brands in terms of clothing that i always stick with and i have for for, for many years now is it's all my lacks and stuff and my brandy cost boots but both of them are super comfortable and they're ideal for the for the varying circumstances that i've and predicaments that i've found myself in being sat there for hours on end it's about good layers and proper layering system with the right kit and something that's not too heavy and the lax and smocks have been fantastic but also my favorite of all of them is this this lax and fleece that they have it's like a green fleece and i've been in silly temperatures with that and and i just took that with me but it's quite quite a, an interesting comparison because this first trip to germany for mouflon was prior to kyrgyzstan and then obviously i've been again last year and we're talking about both trips, but the temperature in both instances has been noticeably colder. And the felt cold was so much worse in, in Germany because it was almost like a, it was like a damp cold as opposed to a dry cold. Really good gloves and you know, thermals and things like that were far much more use here.
0: So how did that day end? Did you go on somewhere else after being in, the, in that high seat or did you take break?
1: Well, that day ended with <laughs> Dimitri and I very, very drunk in the cabin by about 11 o'clock in the morning. And I'm not ashamed to admit that. It was fantastic. We weren't hunting. We we, we, we were both exhausted. We'd been out and we thought, Do you know what, bugger it. We're on holiday. <laughs> We've managed to make this trip happen despite the, 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 the circumstances with, with, with COVID and things like that. And... Yeah, I have a, I have a, a love hate relationship with snap, uh, schnapps. Yeah, we we started on the schnapps, then we went on to German beer and everything was it was it was a cultural experience because everything was German that we <laughs> that we drank. Yeah, we got really rather drunk, and I think we we started because Dimitri is a, a, a chef as well and a very good chef. I will, I will I will credit him with that. We pretty much demolished the food that we had for three days, you know, just as we we're drinking and I I always pack cigars. So as we're drinking and smoking, we were like, oh, let's have some of this. And the food was just, oh, it's just heaven. I think we ended up having D- Dimitri had previously shot um, some seeker and he'd made this incredible cured ham sort of, you know, like this Serrano ham that they get and they carve it really thin. Well, he made that from Seeker haunch, and it was just unbelievable. And we had that with some black truffle. It was so opulent; it really was for for a lowly cabin in the woods. But you know, it was just it was it was um, it was proper. So we spent the day settling in, unpacking, getting very drunk, singing songs, which I've got on on video, and just sort of really having a, having a good time to say well, you know we've got here because that's part of what the hunt was. And then the uh, the, the the team. The guys, the syndicate from the area came and joined us. And yeah, subsequently we got even more merry.
0: <laughs> Did you find that your um, German progressively improved with the more schnapps you drank?
1: The more schnapps, I, I was fluent by the end of the night. I don't think they understood a word that I was saying, but I, I knew exactly what I was saying in German.
0: <laughs> That's brilliant. So I'm I'm guessing that the next day you may have gone out hunting with a hangover.
1: Uh, yeah, to, 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 to say the least, but again, you know, your excitement levels are there, you know, you've seen animals from the day before, feel a little bit ropey Well, you get rid of, you know, that, that goes out the window. You forget all about that. And you're and you're back in hunting mode. I was with Jan, who's, who is sort of our main guide, who is just the most wonderful person. He's, he's absolutely brilliant. He's, um, he's a tattoo artist by trade. And I think he even, later on tried to get me to have a tattoo and I'm like not a chance not a chance no matter how much snaps you you know you pour down my throat I'm not having a tattoo but you know we, we he picked us up early in the morning and um he has this car I think it's got a Lada I think the Russian and the the, the most Soviet Union looking car ever and I absolutely loved it it was super super comfortable and it was so practical and we we really nippy and we we're just darting around these little country roads. Looking at fields, looking at areas where uh, where Mouflon may be coming, travelling through and from, and it was really really exciting. There was, was a lot of sort of winter rape fields, you know, that, and, and 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 open sort of um, arable fields that they were that were were looking over, and trying to work out where to go next. So that was quite exciting. We spent quite a lot of the day doing that. That was the second day, and they'd opened up to me. They knew Dimitri anyway, so it was all really friendly and 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 you know and exciting and they were very very generous and they invited us to their home we met josie his wife who is equally as lovely we just had such a nice experience there having having dinner and everything we eat we, we, we eat there and i say eat there because we, this has become a, a, a regular trip is is it's from the from the land that they've, they've hunted so it's different dishes of mouflon some of the wild boar that they've taken and it was it was amazing to see that whole circle of again a group of people that love and are passionate about hunting and eat it you know and and do the very reason you know what it's for it's not just trophies that was the second day so a lot of scouting around looking and and devising a
0: plan if you're looking at all these fields a field a field field, what are they looking for when they're scouting
1: well they uh, I think they're looking for where they where they typically see them on a sort of regular basis at certain times of day I think I think they can be fairly predictable in certain instances that you know that they're going to be around these certain areas and also areas that we've hunted before so that we're not repeating ourselves. So nothing's a guarantee with hunting. So it was a case of this looks, this looks mouflon y. Let's, let's give this a whirl (laughs) and hopefully we'll bump into some. But there's a good, there was a good population of animals there. So it was fairly, they were fairly confident that we would, that we'd, we'd, we'd we'd find mouflon at, at, at certain points. And as I say, we'd already seen them in the morning. We got an idea of which way they were going and how they were going to feed.
0: And going back to the food, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you ate all of your food for three days on that first drunken morning. So um, I guess it makes sense that you call on the, the kindness of strangers. You mentioned the wild boar and the mouflon living off the land, as your hosts do. Were there any particular dishes or ways that they'd cooked that meat that has stayed with you or you've thought I need to learn I need that recipe I want to replicate
1: that in quite um German tradition they, there was a lot of salamis and a lot of sort of sausages and things like that there which were fantastic the mouflon was really nice and the ball it's like to give that it's going to be nice the, the interesting thing that we had with the mouflon and this was actually second time round was it was like a rack of mouflon ribs and they were quite charred and it gave them a really good texture you know quite quite a crispy texture and and they were lovely, and they just put a big plate of those in the middle of the table, and that was that was absolutely delicious. And I don't know how they quite they, they did it; they might have sort of just roasted them and and cooked the slow cooked them for a bit. Because as you got through the flesh of the meat, which was quite crispy, it was then quite soft underneath. So it was, it was it was it tasted delicious.
0: So now you've got a full belly, and you kind of know where you're going. What happened next?
1: Well, that was the sort of second second night. Um, we had, you know, we had a bit, bit more of a chilled one and we had, we had, we had a plan. Jan then very kindly offered, he said, do you want to come with me uh, early in the morning and go for a wild boar under the moonlight? Because it was a full moon that night. Now, Dimitri had done this time, you know, many times before. So he he opted for a lie-in. Me being keen as mustard, just went, yeah, yeah, let's let's, let's do it. Didn't realise, you know, this was sort of 11 o'clock at night he'd invited me. And he then said, well, I'll pick you up at three in the morning." so so i I was like right let's go to bed now then and he picked me up at three in the morning and we went we went to look for some wild boar area ground that he had about half an hour away we didn't see very much at all and we couldn't get a shot but it was again just something new that i hadn't done before it was quite quite scary and it's i'm i am quite a a softly really and and being in the dark isn't isn't my favorite but it was nice to sort of go out stalk out into the field find the high seat and and wait that out for a little while just on the hope of seeing a boar didn't happen and i was able to come back and it was just another another something to tick off the off the list whilst you were there for a few days and we got back about six o'clock and i thought we'd have i'd have a couple of hours sleep and catch up and revisit the day later on and it was about the third day that i went to a new area which they've now They've, they've now actually named it Nathan's High Seat, <laughs> which I love. And everybody knows it now as Nathan's High Seat. We, we got onto this field. We dropped Dimitri off at his area where he was going. And I, Jan and I went to our, this new area that I hadn't been to before. A huge open field. And then the, the high seat was just tucked into the side. So we went and waited there. And it was a lovely evening, actually. It was just... We, we got there about... I can't, can't remember. Just... An hour or two before last light, and it was quite a warm high seat because it was all soundproofed and things like that, and it was more boxed in, more enclosed, which was quite nice. And at this time, we'd become much more uh, easy to chat with one another, and and uh, we were a bit more, a lot more comfortable and familiar with with it with each other, particularly after drinking copious amounts of schnapps over two or three days, um, and beer and whiskey and gin. <laughs> but um, at this point we're sat there we're waiting waiting around and this fox appears in the distance now this is this is the sort of the main part of my first trip bearing in mind we're you know we're looking for the right ram and things like that and we had not really seen it and this fox appears to the left of me about 100 yards away we could see that he had a, a slightly mangy tail so i was told right okay we're gonna we're gonna take him out because obviously it's you know it's an ethical ethical shot really and you know you don't want that around and at this point we've been waiting in this high seat now for a good hour and a half maybe even two hours i go and i lift the rifle up and i'm looking and i'm going there's something not right here and i realized we've been sat there for two hours with no magazine at all oh no so we had no no ammunition no magazine nothing And we've been sat there and neither of us noticed at this point you just burst out laughing and you go you know what Shit happens laughing our heads off come on let's go back and you know let's go and get something to eat and we're being quite loud and we're laughing and it's just one of those things that you couldn't write it happens i've had to admit this because it's it makes for a good story most people i know wouldn't admit that they'd that they've been so foolish and 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 gone to the point where they you know they've been sat there and not noticed. And I'm saying I'm gonna hold this down to us, just enjoying the environment and enjoying being there. That's what that's what that's what did it. <laughs> We're walking across this field. I say to Yen, you know exactly what's gonna happen. We're gonna see Mouflon. Sure as anything, he turns to me after just having one quick glass and he goes, Nathan, I see Mouflons. <laughs> Uh, that is the line I will never ever forget and I'm looking and I can see across the the road heading towards the the, the field that we were just in was a group of about 20 25 mouflon
0: oh no so he
1: looks at me and he goes well, what do you want to do so at this point we've got no ammunition we're thinking can we get can we get in touch with anyone to bring us home and he goes we've left the magazine on the kitchen table that's that's what's happened um, you know so I said, well, why not? Let's just go for it. So at this point, we are we jump in this little Soviet Union car and we're racing back to his house, which is about 10 minutes away, five, 10 minutes away. The Mufon are perfectly aware that we're there, but they're so familiar, used to cars because obviously, you know, driving around and seeing them all the time, they're not really bothered. So we're racing across down this country road bit of off-roading onto his field that he's got. And at this point, the light is 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 dwindling fast. We reckon we've got 25 minutes before last light, if that. So we're racing back to his. He pulls up, dives out of the car, runs through, grabs the magazine, I've got everything ready, and we're racing back and we're we're just looking you know to see if we can see them. And it's literally we've been now probably 10 minutes. Those little those little cars can be quite nippy we pull up and the, at this point the group had crossed the road into the field now where we were and we can see them just going into the back of the wood so we're running up and i'm at this point I'm in the field loaded the um magazine in and got into position and i just about get lined up on the the um particular ram that he picks out for me and he just goes over and out of shot, and I couldn't take a safe shot. So I was like, shit, you know, we've, we've missed this one. He goes, right, let's go to the high seat. So we're with a little bit of pace, but not make it, trying to make not to make too much noise on this sort of snowy <laughs> crop field, which is near impossible. We're trying to scuttle our way to the uh, high seat that we have just been sat in. And again, bearing in mind, we've got 10 minutes of light left at this. And we're up in the, up in the high seat, and we're waiting, and we're thinking... And I'm I'm literally clock watching because at this point I'm not going to be able to see anything. You know we've got good optics on, but you know there's a limit to everything. And I'm I get up in the high seat and we're waiting. Or you know we're waiting, and it literally feels like an eternity. You know as these things do, and your heart is literally pumping in your chest. You, you know you can hear it, and that adrenaline is kicking in because you know you don't know what's going to happen you know, it felt like you sort of clock watching and it's, there's no exaggeration with this at all. We were literally on the edge of, of darkness and, you know, we had good optics We're waiting and all of a sudden the group that we'd seen in the wood and the bottom half of this same wood had come around because what it turns out is that they couldn't actually go anywhere else. They had to come back on themselves and come out the top of the wood where we were, literally out near the high sea. And, and Jan is saying to me, right, they're there. Let's just give them a chance to, to to wait and see what happens. And we're waiting because we're on the on the wood. And we couldn't see anything anyway. As to we couldn't make any anything out. And all of a sudden, for for some bizarre reason, they just all bolted straight out of the wood. And with and and I'm thinking we've lost this now. They've gone. They're absolutely gone. And even Jan's sort of you know reaction and sigh of oh, shit. They've gone was was sort of quite telling and they ran for about 100 meters and then all of a sudden they just stopped and started grazing and it was the most bizarre thing i've I've, I've ever seen now now whether or not that is some sort of sort of defense that they do or or whether that was just they were spooked and i i I couldn't tell you but it was heart sinking because you think oh you know the chance is gone and we're we're sort of coming to the end now of, of the trip and, you know, while you don't mind if you don't get something, it's always the opportunity is now presented itself. Let's see if we can, you know, make the most of it. So at this point, I'm having to take the rifle out of, this, out of the front sort of portion of the high seat and into the, the side. And, and I was kind of glad that we got to stalk into them a little bit because I didn't want to just be sat in a high seat. Because for me, that was, you, you know, I wanted to sort of experience it. So this sort of whole... Thing had, had sort of come to you know rounded off quite nicely you know we'd been in high seats we'd then stalked into a group we'd raced back because we'd we, we'd we'd royally fucked up but it's you know it's funny and now we're now in a position where we've managed to remedy the situation and I'm now bringing the rifle out and I'm looking at the side out the side of this this high seat and I'm waiting for Jan to identify for me which one he wants me to take now? I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking down the scope, and I'm I'm seeing a number of animals, and I'm seeing a number of rams. But I can't. I'm not experienced to tell which one's which, you know, or which one he wants taking as part of this management plan. Because again, with all these trips, the management plan is so strict, so well managed, and so well run. It's important to you know to take the right one. All of a sudden, he says, "Right, there's 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 an animal on the, the far left." Again, I'm I'm sort of ad-libbing this because obviously the English is <laughs> uh, and my German, as I, as I say, is is sporadic at best. There was a ram on the end of the group, but he was flanked by two U's, so I couldn't take a safe shot. And till they moved or he moved, I couldn't do anything. So he says, "This is the one that I want you to take." Going back to before we'd even gone out. You know, you say about you asking about zeroing and preparing. The one thing we did do is we had, Dimitri and I had quite a long and lengthy discussion on the drive-in as to how best to shoot these animals. Now, some people have said that shoot with typically the engine room, which is just behind the front leg, which is what I've always always been told. But I was also told you could shoot through through the front shoulder. And in a term which the only way you can describe it is, is to basically take shoot the wheels off as a means to you know to stop the animal from running. Now that's the instruction that I was given. We didn't want the animal running on, particularly as it was getting so you know so late. And understandably I was I was totally you know totally nervous about this and wanted to do the right thing. Anyway, as I'm waiting, the Ram steps forward and Yang goes, Are you ready? Take the shot when you can and as soon as he said I can, I pulled the trigger exactly how I was told and he just dropped on the spot. It was a, it, for me to say, it was a perfect, perfect shot. And Jan's reaction sort of told me that. Classic, well done, you know, excitement, reserved exc- excitement, let's just say. So I was really happy and we just let, let everything settle down. He wasn't going anywhere. It was, the shot placement worked out perfect. He was, he was done. And at this point, we were walking up to him and it was dark. Now, you know, we'd taken the shot just in, in the nick of time, literally in the nick of time. And we go up to, to the ram and he was a butte, an absolute butte. And I'm not saying that simply because he's got, he has a huge, you know, set of pawns on him, but he does. He was just a magnificent looking animal and, and one that has clearly been through the wars. If you could hear his story, I'm sure it would be fascinating. He was, I think he's around eight or nine years old, which is incredible. How old
0: do they live to?
1: I think they can go to really good ages, about eight or nine, but that's not a common thing. He was just absolutely beautiful. He, he was battered, he was scarred, you know, from fighting. He was past his prime, but still, um, you know, this, this magnificent-looking animal. He was big, thick, set animal, um, and it was just incredible. He, he has the most and and i'm not i'm not interested in trophies but it is nice to always admire something that is that has come from quality management and his his horns are just so symmetrical um but you could see where they come right the way around he's nibbled the ends of the horns off as they're getting closer and closer to his eyes incredible really you Mm -hmm. know just to protect his eyes and you can see how they're all worn at the end and they're all smashed in at the top you know where he's been fighting. And his face is all scarred and he's missing hair on his face you know just to to show that that, that old age even jan was saying to me that he's a magnificent example so we prepared it you know we got him ready and we took him back to the car and as we're doing that jan just goes ahead to bring the car a little bit closer and the, the flock I think it would be the correct term had come back round uh in the dark and I just caught the sort of the the last of the sunlight and I've got the photograph somewhere as the flock had come round noticed Yan and jumped and I caught the photo because I was taking a photograph of Yan with the the very very last of the sunset in the background and they've jumped and I've got the I've got the flock jumping and it looks like they're jumping over him mm-hmm. it's a, you know one of those fluke photos Wow. Um, so that was just this point. I'm excited. You know what we've set out to achieve in this sort of really tricky um, logistical <laughs> nightmare of a, of, of a hunt as, as all 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 paid dividend. And to be honest, it was just fantastic. So we get back to the house. We prepare the the ram and ready for the larder because obviously he's been he's going to be eating. He goes into the food chain. They've caped him out for me. And because um, I've had that, there's no way I could not have the shoulder mount done of him, but you know the meat has gone into the into the uh, food food chain, which is important. And that night we got back and we had a big celebration. Jan's family again invited us over. The friends, the syndicate came and joined us with their families. And the respect that is given, you know, it's very very traditional in Germany for the for the trumpets. They gave the trumpets the hunting horns at the end of the day as that sort of thanks to the animal and we then proceeded to drink more schnapps but it was just that sort of culmination of everything from a fantastic hunt a brilliant story behind will we won't we get and get there in the end you know particularly having left the magazine which is hilarious (laughs) right the way through to you know the meal at the end that was that was a tremendous night, and we had an easy day. I think basically we one more day. We were leaving. Sort of we, the plan was to go and hunt for that. You know that have the day to ourselves, relax, get packed, hunt the hunt in the evening, come back, have an hour's sleep, and then drive through the night to get to, to get to back to Cullen Airport for me on the, the for the twenty third, basically. So and it didn't go to plan. <laughs> so i went back the, on the fourth day to uh, nathan's high seat again and he said you can go and go on your own and see if you can get that fox and i'm sat there waiting and all of a sudden out of nowhere this kid just appears and i'm bearing in mind i'm in a field now in the middle of nowhere and this kid arrives on a little little push bike <laughs> and i'm thinking am i seeing things it was like something like what's that film children of the corn or something like that and i'm freaking <laughs> out thinking where's this random child appeared from it's got the binoculars and i'm looking i'm thinking what's he doing and then he vanishes and then he comes back about five minutes later you know i'm thinking where on earth has this kid come from and, and i say kid he must have been eight. Oh my goodness it was really weird, really, really weird. And he starts, like, ringing the bell on his bike. And I'm thinking, is he trying to get my attention or whatnot? And Now, I'm not going to approach this person because I don't know what's going on. And, I, and I'm quite a way away. I've just got the binos out. And he's ringing the bell and shouting and laughing. And, and it was freaking me out, something rotten. This, You know, what's his laughing child doing in this field? And then he goes. And then about two minutes later... <laughs> I hear like gunshots in the distance and I'm thinking, what the hell is going on? Two minutes later, after these gun, I hear these gunshots. Uh, Dimitri texts me, just shot two wild boar. So I'm like, right, okay. Happy days. Amazing. Forget everything. Come down after off, off the high seat and I'm thinking, right? They both meet me in the, you know, with the car and pick me up. And I say, well done on your ball. You know, what? asked the story. What happened? And and Dmitri then tells me. He says the most bizarre thing happened. He said I'm facing this field. He said, and all of a sudden, I hear somebody, you know, a little way behind me, ringing a bell on a bike. He said, and I turn around. He said, and all of a sudden, after this noise, so what it was was this kid had obviously been cycling past, made a lot of noise. Disturbed a group of wild boar. They've ran out away from the kid, ran straight into Dimitri's field where he is, and he's shot two running wild boar. Oh goodness. <laughs> the kid, the strange child from the corn, as we'll, as we'll refer to him now, effectively acted as a beater for Dimitri. So he got two running wild boar.
0: That was amazing. And he's not, this This child isn't local, doesn't, you know, do it for extra money or anything, just is almost like a spirit child that appears. No, when you... have
1: no idea. We have no idea who he is. I think what we're going to say is he's like, he must be like a, uh, you know, a child that appears for, for lowly hunters who are in need of, um, <laughs> who are in need of some entertainment whilst up an icy. it was just weird. But oh
0: yeah,
1: that was, that was the, that was the sort of, cherry on top of the cake and we, we anyway we'd gone back to the the cabin we, we've now had a fantastic trip you know we've eaten lots of food we drank a lot you know proper really really good good memory and um, one for the books we said well, we'll have an hour's sleep and we're exhausted at this point absolutely exhausted and we said right well we've got four hour journey from where we are to the the airport we thought we'll pack everything up then we'll get on the road for about 11 o'clock because I needed to be at the airport for five. Well, neither of our alarms worked, and we woke up at one o'clock in the morning.
0: Oh, no.
1: I have never, and bearing in mind at this point, this is now the morning of the 23rd of December, and it's the last flight out of Kulin Airport where I was until after Christmas. And I had a four-hour, well, we had a four-hour drive ahead of us, it was petrifying. That was the most horrible, horrible journey ever, oh, as we raced to uh, race to the airport. and five hundred pounds worth of fines later, and four wow. hours later, Dimitri got me to the airport. Well, <laughs> the fines came after it. You realized oh, um, it was carnage. but what a way to end on,
0: oh, my goodness. It sounds like an amazing. Experience and just full of energy and, and excitement. Has your mouflon come back to you now? He's,
1: you... he's been done. He's been done. I'm picking him up next week. The taxidermist had a big, you know, waiting list as these things, these things do, and can't wait to pick him up. To be honest, because it's a that's a memory for life. And I mean, he he does. I've seen. A, they've sent me a photograph of him, or you know, already, and he does look absolutely spectacular. And I think that it's the right thing to do. You know, he's, none of him has been wasted. You know, he's been eaten. He's, he's, he's made plenty of, plenty of meals and he's rightly been recognized as this magnificent thing that he is, you know, so he'll, he will forever be, you know, a part of what, of my hunting life. So it's, you know, it's fantastic. And it was fantastic to share it with, with Dimitri, it's been fantastic to to share it with Jan and, and and Josie, his his wife, who have become great friends. And you know, we hunted again t- together in December with uh, another very good friend of mine, Carson, who came and shot his very special mouflon, and that was a spectacular hunt as well. You know, and 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 special to to share it with another friend. It's something now; it's become somewhat of a tradition. And Jan is now great going to come to greenland with us um and hunt for muskox so it's 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 something that's not just been a one way one way street you know it's from that one initial trip lots of memories have come come about friendships have been sort of you know secured and, and tightened and you know it's it, it's why i do it to be honest and, I, and um angela Merkel got um got an, got another outing so it's you know <laughs> let's say she went home uh merkel helix and again i love using it for the simple reason that again because of the imperative nature of that if, if that if that animal did run i've got a quick follow-up shot because of the action on it is is I, I just love it
0: so where are we off to next time
1: well it was originally going to be greenland now i've we planned the greenland trip uh for Quite some time, eight to eight ten months, but unfortunately circumstances changed, and we had to postpone that to next year. So it's already it already booked in the diary, and you know arranged for for twenty twenty four, which is something to look forward to. Just a shame that it has to be another sort of twelve month wait. But we're going to go to Majorca, and we're going to go looking at the Balerian box. slightly hotter than anywhere else. Have been so far hunting
0: yeah you're gonna you're gonna have to strip down on those layers and
1: uh, you know i'm gonna have to you know threaten people with my uh with my legs my very <laughs> Ill legs
0: well i i guess as it's a podcast people don't need to uh we don't need to have a warning at the start um for your scary legs oh. <laughs> so what did you say you were you were after a Balerian a
1: Balerian bok now they're they're uh only found they're a sort of uh again a goat and sheep type uh, animal and they're only found in Mallorca
0: that sounds very exciting what why are they only found in Mallorca it's
1: just, just they're, they're just they're just native to the island they're not found anywhere anywhere else so they're, a, they're a, a beautiful looking animal but you know very distinct blackened uh, and brick the only way I can describe it is like a bricky co- brick colour very dark brick sort of like a rusty a color and then quite a dark chest fantastic animals but there's a real interesting conservation story with that
0: fantastic well we'll pick that up next time and we can also discuss well they obviously can't swim if they've never left the island or gone anywhere else um <laughs> so uh we'll pick up on that uh in the next podcast so thank you so much nathan for joining me for this for this episode of in hunter and but listeners, you catch up on the previous episodes where, Nathan, you've been to Kazakhstan. You have been to Sweden. I went
1: Kyrgyzstan. Then we were in Norway. Norway. Then Germany,
0: yes. Yeah. And
1: obviously now, Majorca, And then it will be, well, it should have been Greenland, but that's next year. But we've got plenty more places to go to yet.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Well, we will catch up with you soon. And... For any listeners who want to find out more about uh, the clothing that Nathan uses for these extreme weather hunts, then um, you can head over to his Instagram account, which is at Hotshot Little, and for information relating to the Merkle Helix or Leopold Optics or any other kit that's mentioned in this podcast, you can also head over to Vikingshoot.com and reach out to the team there for more information. So we will catch up next time, Nathan.
1: Thanks very much, Meredith. Take care.
0: All right, you too. Bye.